All right, all right. How are we doing in the house of God tonight? That was pretty weak. I'm not going to give you a second chance. So next week, hopefully you, uh, you're ready to answer that question a little more enthusiastically. Uh, I'm going to give a little update just if, for those of you that weren't here last week. We gave about a 10-minute announcement about a property that Riverhouse is pursuing. Are you here for that? Yes. Um, just for those of you I know that maybe uh, weren't here or those of you that are online, we're glad you're joining in with us that didn't know. Uh, we are pursuing a 40-acre parcel uh, that's essentially central to this valley. It's accessible from about 15, 20 minutes from anywhere. Uh, across the valley, it's going to be basically the intersection of where the new Highway 16 will be cutting uh, north-south right through this epicenter of the Treasure Valley. Uh, we're really excited about this, and we're in the process of believing God to raise a million dollars before July 31st so that we can buy the land cash and uh, essentially give us uh, the platform and the base that we need to begin the journey to discovering what home can be for River House and uh, building a sanctuary for the Lord uh, that will be a place and a resource center for of his presence to this region. We're really, really excited about this. This has been a six-year journey, we believe, to get to this point. And uh, we're just wanting to make that known. Uh, I don't have updates. I was at a wedding this weekend, so I don't know uh, if and how much uh, money has come in. Uh, we'll probably give that more uh, next week. But just to, to make it known, I just ask you to continue praying, seeking the Lord, whether you can give financially or you can give uh, just through prayer, that we would pray that God would resource us from his heart. Um, it's his cattle on a thousand hills. It's his plan. It's his story. It's all the land belongs to him. So uh, I'm not in some sort of way where we're trying to pinch him, but really in a place of trying to posture our hearts to receive that if this is you, Lord, make a way where there is no way and, and give us the land, uh, a land inheritance in this valley that you've called us to serve. Amen. So uh, that's just an update for you um, briefly. We are excited. There are some good meetings. We have a lot of favor with city officials as far as all a lot of the details that typically haven't worked out for us in the past. Uh, these things just are kind of coming together really nicely. So we have a lot of faith and really believe God's in this. Uh, we just need to see him do what he's really good at, which is providing. So <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, that's his name. So, yeah. We're glad that's his name, right? Okay, well, let's stand on our feet. I'm going to read from the Bible. Can you say the Bible? Who likes the Bible? That's so good. You guys were more excited about the Bible than being here. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. All right, this is out of First Peter. I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, maybe 4 through 10. Therefore, or sorry, and coming to God as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated. I, I feel a lot of unction in my heart, conviction of the Holy Spirit, as we're going to step into just a new conversation that I think he's leading us into. We spent some time discussing growing in favor and in wisdom and in stature with God and men. That was the last, I think, four or so weeks that I preached, kind of one long message. I think they put it on the podcast as favor part one, part two, part three. Really, really clever. Um, but it's functional. So you can listen to all of those. One long four-week message. And uh, we're going to shift gears. And this is really, I felt the Lord brooding on this for quite a while and, and speaking along the vein of what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Can you say royal priesthood? I think this is something that is really jargoned around in the church a lot. We say, I'm a royal priest, but we don't really know what that means, and it's hard to make contact. Like the plane is flying up there somewhere in our brain, but it hasn't really landed in our heart so that we can take ownership of this identity of being a royal priest before God. And I'm going to discuss a little bit of why I think that is. But really tonight, I want to open this topic, this conversation of the Lord has been having with me about uh, what he's leading us into as a house of what does it mean to be a royal priest? And how do we step in and get a revelation of this identity that God has given us? So I want to take this from idea to reality. So in, uh, when Peter's quoting this, this, that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, he's actually quoting a bunch of different Old Testament texts. If you have like a concordance or a cross-reference uh, in the middle of your margin of your Bible, you'll see there's a whole bunch of Deuteronomy and Old Testament verses that are getting compiled in the statement that Peter's making about us being a royal priesthood. And essentially what he's communicating is this conglomerate of verses where God is essentially saying, I have chosen Israel and set my love upon them in a special way so that the banner of my blessing will rest upon them. They'll be priests before me, which means they'll be my representatives to the earth. And the shower of my blessing that rests upon them will provoke the nations to jealousy because they will see who I am through the radical way in which I favor and bless these people, Israel, that I've chosen to come to me. So when Peter is saying, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, he's trying to, he's provoking in a Hebrew audience who would have known the scriptures, he's provoking this profound sense of identity of God's chosen beloved ones that are radically blessed under the banner of Yahweh's grace that would provoke the nations to jealousy for God because they'd see the blessing of God upon the priesthood who make him known to the earth. So this is really big language. It's a profound statement that I think we've only begun to grasp the beginning of it. Uh, part of this difficulty in grasping this royal priesthood language is that I think most people, when we think of royal priest, we think of a priest as a very religious character, meaning you're either, you know, Catholic priest who was raised in the Catholic church in here besides my beautiful wife. 
Her uh, confirmed name is Elizabeth, if you didn't know that. So you can say, hi, Sister Elizabeth, later when you see her. Anyways, she's probably mad I just said that. But anyways, you're raised in the Catholic Church. There's priests. They wear the clerical collar, very official. You'll see priest. You know, you think of Old Testament priests. They have these, you know, crowns and the, the ephod with all these different stones and these royal garments. And we think of priest as a very spiritual thing that does religious acts and sacrifices and festal robes and religious rites. A priest. So we think of priest as this very religious character. And I think it's really hard for like 98% of the church to really associate that I'm a priest when we say I'm a royal priest. Yeah. Is that difficult for anyone? You're like, do I have to wear a collar, a little white collar to work every day? Tell everyone I am a royal priest. I guess you don't think that's funny. That's okay. I'm going to keep on going. Uh, but I think this is challenging for us. Priest is a religious term in our minds. I don't think it's a religious term in God's minds, but it's a religious term in our minds. But this is the truth. The vocation of a priest existed before religion. Adam was a priest to God in the garden. This is amazing. When you really study the Genesis account, Genesis, Adam and Eve were put, they were like priest kings, priest rulers that were put in a garden. And the garden of Eden actually is created in the same way that the temple and the tabernacle were a, a temple that they were mirroring the Garden of Eden. So if you read the Genesis account, there's an inner sanctuary in the garden. It says the middle of the garden, say the middle, the middle of the garden was where the tree of life was. This would be the equivalent of the holy of holies that came in the tabernacle or the temple. Then outside the middle of the garden, there was the garden of Eden. Say garden of Eden. So we had an inner garden with the tree of life. We had an outer garden that was just widely known as the garden of Eden. We have an inner temple with the holy of holies. There was an outer court, an inner court, and an outer court. Then outside of the temple, you had the, the, the gates, the, the courts of the, the temple. The same way in the garden, you have the inner garden, you have the outer garden of Eden, then you have the land of Eden, and then outside the land of Eden, you just had the world. And Adam and Eve are put as priest rulers into this garden sanctuary, this garden temple, and they're actually given the vocation of being priest before God. Say priest. So there's no religion yet, right? Because man hasn't broken relationship with God. There's no need for religious form to actually be a conduit for man to come back into union with God. Being a priest isn't, it predates sin. It predates religion. What Adam and Eve were given the vocation of a priest is a priest is a representative of God. That's what a priest is. A priest, Adam and Eve, were made to represent God to creation. So that when creation looked at Adam and Eve, they would see God. And when Adam and Eve went to God, they would represent creation. So a priest is a representative. It's somewhat of a go-between. So now think of Jesus in John 15. This is why he gets a little bit upset at Philip when he says, if you show us the Father, it's enough for us. He says, how can you ask me that question? Don't you understand I've been the high priest, the second Adam... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is priestly language. Jesus is saying, I'm the second Adam. If you have seen me, you've seen him. I'm a priest. So Adam and Eve are given this priestly identity, this vocation. Humans were actually created to be priests to God. 
Not about festal robes, not about religious rites. It's about a vocation of closeness and imitation of God. Okay, yeah. Five of you are like, yes, I'm going to keep preaching to you five. Hope the rest of you are with me somewhere and you'll catch up later. Still not there. <laughs> okay. So a priest is a co-ruler, one who's commissioned to co-reign with God and to embody God to creation. This is why in Romans 8, have you ever wondered why all creation is groaning for you to step into your identity? It's because creation was designed to function with priest, cultivating creation. Adam's given a land inheritance by God and an earthly stewardship that was called Eden that had an inner garden, an outer garden, and then uncultivated land. He was given an inheritance. God gave him a commission as a priest, a priest king, a priest ruler, that he was to walk with God in the cool of the day in the inner garden where he would worship and behold God, learn what God was like, and then he would go to the outer garden and the uncultivated land, and he would imitate what he had just worshipped, who he had just worshipped. Right? So worship, the old English is worth-ship. Worship boils down to the bestowing of worth or value upon someone or something. Flattery is the greatest, or copying someone is the greatest form of Right, you know, that Riley, my, my mom used to always tell me that when I get ticked at Riley. He always wanted to look like me. I mean, he still does. <laughs> I can't get a new outfit without him showing up with the same thing within like two, three weeks. Just watch. Just watch. You'll see it now. He wanted to dye his hair brown, everything. <laughs> Fake bake on his skin, you know, want that olive tone like me. It's, it was crazy. It used to just tick me off. I'm only a little joking. I'm a big brother, I can do what I want, you know? <laughs> but seriously, when you copy someone, when you imitate them, it's actually showing that you value them. This is why we pay big bucks to influencers. Because culture knows you'll wear what influencers wear. You'll shop where influencers shop. You'll go on vacation where influencers go on vacation. Because we value what they do, we imitate them. Worship, right, is bestowing of worth and value. David's very priestly psalm in Psalm 27 when he says, I was one thing I want. I want to behold you in the sanctuary. I want to behold your beauty. I want to meditate upon you. I want to be in your house. I want to be in the inner sanctuary with you because I really, really am fascinated with you. I value you. Beholding, worship, but then what you value, you'll then imitate. So Adam's in the inner garden, walking with God in the cool of the day, kind of watching, how do you cultivate the earth? Then he goes out and does likewise. He's a priest. He's a representative of God. Now think, break down this word represent. It just means re-present. Again, present, make known. So you're just making God known. You're presenting him to the world with the way you live your life. That's what a priest does. 
guys are so like, you know, serious tonight. You're thinking. It's good. You know how you enter the kingdom? By repenting. It's thinking. <laughs> that just blows some charismatic boxes right there. Oh, man. I just, I'm so funny, you can't even laugh at it. <laughs> so if I'm going to represent God, it demands a life of worship. Think about it. If I'm a priest in my, my highest vocation in the earth is to represent God to the world, it necessitates a life of worship. It's a vocation of proximity. It's God saying, I designed you to be so intimate with me that you can make me known with three-dimensional color to the world that you so know the nuances of my heart that you can make them visible with the way that you live your life. So to be a priest is all built upon worship. But again, we have worship in the same box that we have priest. We have worship in, in religious understanding that worship is what we just did. It's not what we're doing now which is a problem. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna address some schema tonight in your minds that are in, inhibiting the vocation of God in your life. I'm awakening true identity in you. Something inside you is gonna gravitate to these words because it's truth, it's from the scriptures, they're not my words, they're his words, they're the wisdom that God created you with. It's the identity woven deep inside of you of a priest. But I'm gonna challenge some thinking that has a lot of us trapped in these religious boxes. So we think of worship as singing songs for 45 minutes on Sunday. Now that's a part of worship, but I wanna, I wanna, offer a bigger perspective because if priests are to make God known with the entirety of our lives, then I need to know what God is like in the entirety of life, which means I need a holistic understanding of worship so that I can be intimate with God. I can learn to be fascinated with God in all the aspects of who he is, not just in this religious understanding of what takes place in church on Sundays. So how do we do this? I want you to think of worship as trifold. Say trifold. So three different dimensions of worship. This is, this is sim simplified, so don't get stuck. It's probably more nuanced than this. But there is a spiritual dimension to worship. There is an emotional dimension to worship. There is a physical dimension to worship. So when we think of spiritual worship, spiritual worship is engaging with God at the spiritual level. God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. The church has focused a lot on this. I don't think we've quite got it. I'm going to help you tonight, but I don't think we've quite got it. But spiritual worship is what we think of. We think of song. It's poetry, scripture, music, right? Music has always been, throughout the history of mankind, a portal between heaven and earth. There's, we worship God in these spiritual ways. This is the inner sanctuary. This is the holy of holies. There's this pure spiritual union that takes place with Christ, as we worship him through song, scripture, poetry, it's, it's a portal and we enter into union. Yeah? Who got blessed tonight? By our youth group and team. There is a portal. These are, these are thin places 
When we enter in, we're learning to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. All right, there's emotional realm of worship. There's a soul that God's given us. The soul is the relational part of us. It's the emotional part of us. It's the part of us that forms soul ties, good soul ties, healthy soul ties with people that we love in covenant relationship. We worship God through the relationships of our life. It's an act of worship. Right? Then there's the physicality of our worship, which is our actual vocation to the dirt, to the earth that we've been given an inheritance in the earth. Just like Adam and Eve were given an inheritance in the earth, so have you and I. You say, what's my inheritance? It is the time and space that you alone occupy. You have a tri-dimensional inheritance. You are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And you alone have a time-space continuum that nobody else does. You are the light of the world in a way that nobody else is. There are relationships, there are functions, there are identities, there are roles. There is a whole inheritance that God has put under your stewardship that you are to be a priest to, a cultivator to. To take this land, this, this physical inheritance on earth, you've been commissioned by God to make it Eden. That's your identity, is what he's put under your care to make it Eden, to make it look like heaven to make something that shows this is the city of God that has come to earth. This is so good. Okay, so the physical is work, finances, the physicality of our life. So our priestly representation of God is also trifold. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's relational, and it's physical. That's the vocation of a priest. It's not just a spiritual, it's not a religious thing. It's a whole life thing. It's, it's a stewardship of inheritance that's been entrusted to us to steward it so that in, in the spirit, in our relationships, and in the physical labor, what we give ourselves to physically, it's abounding with fruitfulness because we're a priest. We're a cultivator. All right, so a royal priest has been given a vocation to worship and behold God and then imitate what he's like in all the realms of our life. It's just this beautiful life rhythm where we're dancing with God through life. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this land because there's, there's dilemmas that we have in your mind that you might not be aware of them yet, but they're going to come up. I want to talk about what is the role of the church in the life of a royal priesthood? Anybody else asking that question? You guys need to stretch, yawn, jumping jacks. Okay. What is the church? A church is a prophetic community. Say prophetic community. A church is a prophetic community that seeks to faithfully and holistically worship and represent God to the earth. The church is designed to be a foretaste of heaven on earth a community of anointed cultivators that turn their earthly stewardship, their community, into a foretaste of heaven. Where the world looks and gets provoked. A people who live like Adam and Eve in Eden under the banner and the blessing of Yahweh's grace. We would be this people who live under the banner and blessing of Yahweh's grace. That Christ in us, the hope of glory, we would sow the seed and cultivate the garden. And we would create a community in the midst of our city that people look at and are provoked 
by something supernaturally wonderful that's alive in that community. That there's no other community like this on the face of the earth. It's a prophetic foretaste of heaven. Yeah, that's our identity. It's spiritual. It's relational. It's physical. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed as we worship God in the spirit, blessed and fruitful in our relationships, a priesthood that succeeds in all realms of life and exudes the creativity of creator God who lives inside of us. That's the church. What's the problem? Western thinking, we have been discipled that the church lives in a two-hour box. And we're in it right now. We're in the box. Recognize right now, we are in a box. Right now. And it's not these walls. It's these ones. Soren Kierkegaard talks about that sometimes the church is like this duck that's preaching to a whole congregation of ducks. And it says, these wings are made to fly. Everybody starts clucking and clapping their wings. Yes, pastor. Yes, pastor. They get so riled up and then they walk home. I don't want you to walk home. So keep engaging with me. Western thinking, the church is imprisoned in a two-hour service. The church is also imprisoned in the spiritual realm, mostly. For some, it, transgress, it, it, it jumps over into the relational realm. But mostly, church is a spiritual thing. It's part of our spiritual lives. It's a two-hour window. There is pastors, and then there's normal people. So there's the separation, which is really alienating, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I wish it was funny. <laughs> pastors and pews. There's no priest. There's no priest when it's pastors and pews. There are anointed leaders in the church. There is a government of grace. I'm not saying that there's not five-fold leaders. There is, but it's not pastors and pews. It's a priesthood. There's priests that are chosen to lead within the house of God. There's priests that are sent out into the marketplace. But we're all priests. We're all royal priesthood. We don't have that. That's not in the West. Nobody's discipled us. This is, we've been discipled into this deeply, deeply, right? And essentially what I'm trying to get at is that we have drifted as the American church into adopting an understanding of church that's not biblical. This is what that means. Our appetite, we crave the wrong things and we think the right things are bad. Just like if you feed someone candy enough, they'll think candy's good and vegetables are bad. The church systematically thinking in this, we think candy's good and vegetables are bad. And if I were to summarize the issue of what we're being discipled to, the schema, the thinking that we have in church in our mind, down to one word, this is the word, non-participatory. Say that. That's the tongue twister. Non-participatory. Non-participatory. That's the problem. We've been discipled into a form of church that is non-participatory. And then this is what the, the real issue is, is that when we are put into participatory environments, we are uncomfortable at best, and at worst we say, that is weird, and we want nothing to do with it. Let me give you examples. Let's talk about spiritual worship. When the song ends, and we're in that space, that in-between space, we don't really know what's happening 
and maybe the worship leaders singing spontaneous, or maybe it just goes quiet, we don't know what to do. Or when a worship leader says, begin to express your own song to the Lord. You say, that's flipping weird. Why would I do that? It reveals a non-participatory mindset. It, this is what it says. I'm not comfortable worshiping God in the spirit unless I'm spoon-fed a song. I'm not judging. This is what we've been discipled into culturally. I don't know what to do right now. I don't see myself as a participant in what's happening on Sundays. I see myself as a spectator of it. And you can preach me all the messages, but I, I still see myself that way. It's, it's deeper. It's subconscious into us. We, didn't, we weren't taught it. We caught it by the week after week experience. What do I do when the music stops? Priests are participants. Priests are cultivators. Priests are cultivators. We've been hardwired to be, see ourselves as recipients of something at church, not cultivators of something. Here's another example. Here's relational worship. We do house churches here, revival groups, becoming house churches, officially soon, September. House churches, we do house churches. No matter how many we talk about them, for a lot of you, they just will always seem to be optional. Because church is in a two-hour box. So no matter what we say about how important community is, it still feels like if I go to church on Sunday, I'm good. I went to church. That is a non-participatory mindset. That says, if, if I deep down believe, I'm not talking about like what you confess as right belief, as right doctrine. I'm saying what you emotionally believe about your relationship with church. If you really think, I'm good, I'm good, I went to church two or three times on Sunday, that's enough. What you're consenting to is that I'm good just being a taker here. I'm good just taking from Jordan's anointing. I'm good from drinking from the overflow of your quiet place. I'm good from getting led in worship and receiving an environment. I'm good just being a recipient. I put no yoke upon myself of needing to offer something to cultivate anything here. And this is why there's no judgment in that. We haven't been discipled into the identity to believe that we have something to cultivate here. This is, this is the theology that builds the separation between the pulpit and the pew. There's a lack of priestly identity in the house of God. We don't see ourselves as cultivators. We don't see ourselves as being empowered to offer a powerful, dynamic ministry unto the house of the Lord. And that the church is not just a place I go to. It is a prophetic community that I've been empowered alone by God to build. Come on. We're clucking right now. <laughs> Tim Keller says revival takes place when the people that think they know recognize they don't. We don't know what church is. We don't. I could go on. Here's one more. Just because it's fun. Before I do, you have ministry to receive here. You have ministry to offer. 
something happens in circle spaces that doesn't happen here. Something happens here that doesn't happen in circle spaces. But you're receiving something on Sunday. You're being empowered by grace, by what the word of the Lord is speaking to a community. And then you cultivate that in community. There's something that you then are empowered. You leave here, whether you know it or not, you leave here seated with an imperishable seed, which is the word of Christ, that has power, that as you sow it into the hearts, as you worship God emotionally, relationally, things take place in you and around you. The garden of the Lord is intensely relational. The inner garden, the inner chamber is spiritual. It's with God. It's a union with him that no one can take you to. But then you step into the outer garden. There is relational beauty. It's a family of God. You step into the outer places, the uncultivated land, the mission field of America. Here's the last example, missional expression. If we can't come to church with a conviction that I have something to offer and cultivate, how are we going to go out there? This is why most don't. If it's an outreach event, it'll maybe be less than 1% of the church will show up to that. No one wants to come to that. We don't, much less, like that's organized. Mission is so much more than just organized. Like, it's a life. It's a priestly vocation that in the time-space continuum, wherever I am, I am a priest. If I work at FedEx Kinko's, if you've seen me, you've seen God because I am a priest and I have been given this as, a, as an inheritance in the earth that I've been empowered by the spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave to cultivate an environment where if you see me, you've seen him. I'm a royal priest. There's a whole lot more vocations out there than there are in here. Right? But we, we, we don't. If, if, we, if we don't get this, what we're consenting to is that we're comfortable keeping Christ in me, the hope of glory, the one who saved my soul from damnation and hell. I'm comfortable keeping him to myself. This is what we're being discipled into. I know that no one in here wants that. But I'm trying to give you fuel for repentance tonight. I'm trying to catalyze repentance so that we can begin to see something beyond where we are. We can see what he shed his blood for. Because when we see what he shed his blood for, when that connects, when we see what the church is and the awe and the wonder of what it is, it's like, oh my gosh, what won't I give to see that come to pass? If he shed his perfect, spotless blood for it, surely we will give a little of ourselves to see it as well we just haven't seen it it's because the prince of the power of the air he blinds the minds blinds our hearts so what is the church of jesus christ it is designed by god to be a fellowship of burning hearts where we come burning together we are, we are a priesthood that gathers together. This is why in Hebrews, Paul's talking about the priest. Then it says, don't forsake the, the assembly of believers. Because when the priesthood gathers, your flames begin to light one another afresh again. 
again and again. We're in a rhythm where we come together in the house of the Lord, not just to receive, but to cultivate an environment where we are getting freshly lit with the fire and the grace of God to be sent back out to cultivate families and workplaces and neighborhoods and lives that look like Eden on earth that look like heaven, that abound with fruitfulness, that are, that are flowing, that are a revelation of Christ to the earth. That's why we gather together, because we're building something together. This is why we meet in the homes. It's because we're building something together. We are a fellowship of burning ones. We are a company of anointed cultivators, a royal priesthood that are on a mission to see heaven come to a region. Oh my gosh. We're, we're living a new way of life called the kingdom of God where we're living under the banner and the blessing of Yahweh, king of heaven. And we are provoking the world to jealousy that they would be cut when they see the way we live life as a royal priesthood, as this Adamic priesthood, the new Adam, the new Christ, who's showing this is how you walk with him in the inner place. Behold him. Behold him in the sanctuary. Come to the mount of the Lord on a Sunday night and behold the risen one and then go and imitate him with your life. It's this... Behold, imitate, behold, imitate, behold, imitate. That is the vocation of a priest. That is who you are. It's what you were designed for. It's holistic. Can I do a little bit more? In Genesis, when Adam and Eve forfeit their priesthood, they forfeit, it gets destroyed because they rebel. They say, rather than being your representation to the earth, we actually want to forsake you and we're going to do it our own way. How has that worked out for humanity? You know, rather than imitating you, with all due respect, I think I know how to make this place really nice. With all due respect, I think that tithe thing is jacked up. I know how to use finances better. With all due respect, I, I, I just don't actually believe that you know what you're talking about. Do you see how stupid that is? We're like, you're the creator. <laughs> but I actually still think that I can do it. This is why pride, this, you know, we don't know, those are other messages. This is the garden. So God says, he curses humanity. You've, you've chosen a curse. He curses the serpent, he curses Eve, he curses Adam. But in the middle of the curse between the serpent and the, or the, the curse with Eve, he gives the statement. He says, and Eve's seed will bruise your head, will strike your head. Say that, strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So in other words, the seed of Eve is going to do a death blow to the seed of the serpent, but the seed of the serpent is going to strike the seed of Eve. God is actually prophesying redemption to the priesthood. He's, he's prophesying Christ literally the second after we send. Right. Right. Wow. 
So God has this whole master plan that I'm the one who is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So even though sin and evil and humanity is going to do everything they can to screw up this vocation, I already know what I'm going to do. And so when we rebelled, he says, no, I have a plan of redemption. I'm going to redeem heaven and earth and my children will be mine. My sons and daughters will be mine. He just determined his mind. No matter what it costs me, they will be mine. I will have my royal priesthood for myself. I will have those whom I have set my love upon. So he prophesies, but he prophesies it in seed form. Say seed form. So he prophesies seed form. We watch now through the whole Old Testament, the prophets, the patriarchs, Abraham, David, they're all looking to a coming Messiah that was originated with that seed. So they were stewarding a seed. They were stewarding a promise from generation to generation to generation to generation until the seed materialized and Christ came. In, in Galatians 3, Paul ties this together. He says, and the seed was Christ. So Christ came as a new Adam, say new Adam. He came to redeem the royal priesthood, the true royal priesthood created by God, not created by man, not a religious structure, but a vocation to a fruitful life of creating heaven on earth so that the boundaries of Eden will extend and extend and extend so that the earth will look like heaven because man has stepped into their vocation of, of empowered sons and daughters, a priesthood that can cultivate the way that God cultivates, a representation of who God is to the cosmos. So Christ comes, he's a new priest of a new priesthood. Say a new priesthood. He's a new priest of a new priesthood and he brings a new covenant. Say a new covenant. The new covenant, what is the new covenant? It's the dream of God. The days are coming, says the Lord, where the old things are going to go away before you'd have to teach one another, know the Lord. But in those days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to write their laws in their heart. They will all know me. I'm going to wash away their sins. They'll be mine and I'll be theirs. They'll be a priesthood again. We'll come back to the garden. We'll come back to Eden. We're going to be together. We're going to do this thing together again. This is the dream of God. So a new priest, Jesus Christ, come. He gives his life. The Satan, Satan strikes him on the hill and he's crucified. But he raises a den and it, we still haven't seen it. And he's going to strike Satan on the head. He's going to rid of all evil. He's going to make all his enemies under his feet. And there's going to be perfect redemption in the earth. Has that happened yet? Has that happened yet? No, because God is still creating space for the church to rise into her identity and become his priest on the earth. So he has created this window and he deposits the new covenant in us in seed form. So the church for 2,000 years, just as Israel stewarded for 5,000 years, the promise, the seed, the seed, the seed. God has given us the new covenant in a seed, and he's just waiting. He's longing for his church to become the church. And sow and cultivate the seed of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the imperishable seed. That we were born of an imperishable seed, an incorruptible seed. The word of God in us, his spirit in us. It's in us in seed form. You are a priest who has been anointed by the spirit of God. You have been, you have been fully stocked 
with everything you need to cultivate your earthly inheritance and make it look like Eden. But it's seed form. It's seed form. And it's, it's choosing to reject this deception of the casual consumption Christianity. It's choosing to recognize that you don't know even if you think you do. And I'm with you in this. I'm, I'm, I'm walking this journey of repentance. I'm not saying follow me because I got it figured out. I'm saying let's see what the word of the Lord is inviting us into and be willing to humble ourselves and say we don't know. Teach me, make me a disciple. But it's a life of worship, it's choosing. I'm gonna be a priest, I'm gonna step into my identity and I'm gonna to begin to cultivate, even if vegetables don't taste good at first, even if it's, it seems wrong, it seems heavy, well, it's the Bible. We love Isaiah 61, I'm gonna end with this. We, we, we read usually the first few verses that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking. This is a high priestly prophetic word. So it's saying that the Spirit of God is going to come on Jesus because Jesus is going to preach good news. He's going to open the blind eyes. He's going to set captives free. He's going to heal the, heal the brokenhearted. The garland instead of ashes. We know this, right? We've quoted this. Now, now follow me the rest of the psalm because the Spirit of the Lord comes on Jesus, the high priest, for the sake of raising up a priesthood. Follow me now. This is verse 4. Then they. Who's they? It's the church. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. And they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. Foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. What's this talking about? Physical redemption. Physical representation of God to the earth. That there will be physical change in the desolate, devastated places of your land, of the earth. Physical. Physical, right? Physical worship. Physical representation. Physical redemption. But you will be called the priest of the Lord. You'll be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you'll boast. Instead of your shame, you'll have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. They will possess a double portion in their land. You'll be given inheritance. Physical inheritance. You're a priest. Just like Adam was given inheritance, you're a priest. You're given inheritance. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I'll faithfully give them recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known amongst the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they're the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. Relational worship. Relational redemption. The fruit of your relationships. There will be an offspring from your life. Physical, spiritual, sons, daughters, that will be known amongst the nations of the earth as ones favored by God. The fruit of your relationships will produce favored sons and daughters. Relational, it's relational redemption, it's relational worship. 
Then verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. This is priestly language. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What's this talking about? Spiritual worship. Bridegroom. Bride of Christ. Bridegroom Christ, intimate worship. I will rejoice. I will sing. I will praise him. Spiritual worship, relational worship, physical worship, physical redemption, relational redemption, spiritual redemption, connection. Are you following me here? And then let's see. What's the last verse of Isaiah 61? This one floors me. As a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and, spray and praise to spring up across the nations of the earth. As you sow the seed of Christ in you, like into a garden, God will cause the seed to spring up to righteousness and praise across the nations of the earth. You will redeem the earth physically, relationally, spiritually. You are a priesthood commissioned to create a foretaste of heaven on earth. Come on, man. We're priests of God most high. You are a priest of God most high. You have been chosen. You have been, his love is set upon you. He has favored you. He just longs for you. It's like he is, there's nothing more that he could do. So let the truth set you free tonight. I, I, I felt prompted from the Lord. I bought a bunch of seed. I bought a bunch of wheat seed. This is so weird. And I put them in these bags. And I just saw this picture as I was meditating, praying through this word. I just saw, I, 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 I saw, it's like I knew I needed to give you something physical that you could take with you that embodies the picture of what it means to be a priest. Uh, an opportunity to receive something from the Lord that could actually shift and catalyze repentance so that you would leave here flying and not walking. So you would leave here seeing yourself as a royal priest and not just a pew warmer or a Christian. The word Christian, we don't even know if that's a good word in the scripture. Christian doesn't mean anything in America anymore. That's the sad truth. I don't want you to be a Christian. I want you to be a priest before God, a disciple of the high priest, one who walks and imitates God, who beholds him and imitates him with a life. That's the calling of the church. And if this is striking you as new information, I'm not trying to rattle your cage unnecessarily. I'm trying to provoke you with the truth. There is seed that God has given you. But if you don't see yourself as a priest, you won't sow the seed. And if you don't sow the seed, you won't reap the harvest. If you sow in tears, you'll reap with shouts of joy. But you have to see you have to see that God's given you a seed, that every time you show up, you're sowing. Every time you bless his name, you're sowing. Every time you invest into a hard relationship because you know the Lord's called you there, you're sowing, you're sowing. You're so every act of obedience, you're sowing, you're sowing, you're sowing. You're not just sowing because you're supposed to. It's not a religious right. It's in the hope that you are building a garden of God on the earth. And if you will sow, you will reap. If we as a church will sow, we will reap. I don't think revival is some sort of sovereign external thing where God just decides, now I'm going to usher in and change a city. He's looking for partnership. 
He's looking for a priesthood. He's looking for a people that he can come and say, I'm ready. You're ready to work with me now. If we will sow the seed as a community, if we will value the assembling together, if we will value prayer, this is spiritual worship, if we will value house church and building family and community, if we will value this space, it's not because Riverhouse is special, it's because God is special and he made the church. It was like, God, what can I name my mission on the earth? What can I name this community? What can I call them? These, this world-changing initiative that I authored in, with my shed blood and gave everything. What can I call it? I'm going to call it Ecclesia. I'm going to call it the church. These called out people, called out of darkness into my very heart. I'm going to call them out so that they can then imitate me to the earth. That's what the church is. It has nothing to do with Sunday night's gathering. That's just part of what we do. That's not the identity. If we don't get this, we're following half-truth. If we don't get this, we're, we're, not, we're not the narrow way. If we don't get this, we're, we're wasting our time. And the church needs the humility to say we don't know. That's what we don't see. You don't hear this from the general church. Why don't we hear this? Our nation has turned their back on God. Somehow it's Washington's fault. Somehow it's someone else's fault. Where is the humility to say we must be doing something wrong? Find it here, God. Find it here, repent, wipe away all the consumer stuff, and make me a priest. It's not beat up yourself. God's like, I love you, but it's time to be a priest. It's time to be a priest. Children can come to the dinner table without contributing anything. They don't have to make the food. They don't have to set the table. They don't have to cultivate. But it's time to grow up out of infancy and into maturity. The church is not wrong in this nation. It's immature. It's stunted. We should keep growing, but we haven't been growing because we haven't been getting nutrient. God's releasing nutrient. It's a revelation of a priestly identity, which is like Popeye spinach. <laughs> we need some new food. We need some new content to wrap our head around. This will cost you. It will cost you. If you, if, if you allow church to break out of a two-hour window, it's going to cost you. But you want it to cost you. Because everything in life that's valuable costs something. You don't want cheap. You don't want cheap church. You don't want easy church. You don't want convenient church. You don't want comfortable church. Because the church isn't the space we go to. It is the community that we're choosing to covenant to that we would walk in faithfulness because we're saying, I'm going to sow the seed next to you for the next 20 years. I'm going to sow the seed with you because I got a vision of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. And I believe. I got so blessed tonight seeing Olivia Glisten up here. I've known her since she was like this tall. And it made... The multi-generational blessing just seem a little closer tonight. That's the dream that's inspired me. It's what gets me on the hard days, as I've always thought. Even before I was married, I'd have this picture 
of my kids walking around this place with a deep, profound knowing of who they are, knitted in a very mature, godly, healthy community of believers. That was the dream. That's the dream that just... I want to leave something, God. I want to cultivate. I want to sow seed. And it's hard because we want to eat the seed. Culture says eat the seed. It tastes good. It's going to make that hunger go away. But what we're wanting to see is a generational legacy. What we're wanting to see is Isaiah 61. And it's all inside you. But like Satan does everything to keep us from Christ, but once we get Christ, he does everything to try to blind us to where he's living inside of us. He's right here. The seed's there. So I have seed. I have the seed. There's a long rabbit trail. I have the seed. It's bag of seed. It's nothing special. It's a bag of seed. And that seed has to be sown, and that seed has to die because of a grain of wheat doesn't die, it remains alone. But if the grain of wheat will die, it will sprout and it will multiply exceedingly. You've been given seed, and some of you say you're in hard times, but some of you have seen this. Some of your garden's abounding. I was processing with the Lord the other day, and I said, Lord, he called me. He called me earlier this year. He called me into a decade of sowing here. That's what he called it. He said, I'm calling you to a decade of sowing here in Boise, here at River House. And he said, if you'll sow the seed for the next 10 years, you'll reap for the decades to come. He said, but you're going to have to sow the seed. And he told me, he said, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to grow peace because if you don't grow in peace, you're going to get antsy. And when you get antsy, you want to do a new thing and you're going to look for a new thing and you're not going to sow the seed. And he said, it's going to look like the same relationships. It's going to look like your same kids every day. It's going to look like the same things. You're just going to have to do the same things, but you're going to have to sow the seed and hope that the seed has something bigger than the seed in it. But it's a decade of sowing. It's a, God's called us to be sowers. But I was processing. I said, okay, Lord, this is this decade of sowing. I said, but it's a different decade. I've, I've been in a sowing season before. I've been in a Psalm 126 season where you're sowing tears. And, and I said, Lord, I'm trying to find different motivation now because in the past season, I was in survival. I was in crisis. I was in so much pain. I said, it was like my field was a scorched black ground and it was just horrible. And I was in so much pain and so much depression and, and addiction and all of it. And I said, and I was just crying out to you in tears. And I said, I remember when I'd have to seek you when I didn't want to seek you. And I would just weep and weep and weep with you. And I said, but I've seen it. Those sowing in tears. I was like, it's now my life's like this garden. I sometimes have to pinch myself and say, I don't know where all this blessing comes from. Well, it's just because you sowed the seed. You sowed your seed. But he said, you're in a different season now because then you were sowing out of self-preservation, survival. He's like, it was good. It was fruitful. He said, but now I want you to get past it. He said, now you've, you've tasted of the fruit. He said, I want you to take it and I want you to sow it in hope and faith in the next generation. I want you to get my heart and I'm going to show you something that's even beyond you to sow into. And I've been working this out with the Lord. But I just say this to say that whether you're in a Psalm 126, your land is scorched. Sow the seed. And if your scorched land has become a garden, take your seed. And this is what the Lord's been challenging me. He said, there's a lot of seed you could eat.